You are listening to The Pilgrim on the 405 with Will Christ. Join him as he and his guests discover how businesses thrive in California. Well, welcome to The Pilgrim on the 405. Just in our wanderings in the north part of the 405, we have discovered a Jeff Raber of the workshop. And we're going to have a great conversation today. Jeff is a scientist. And the scientists looking at cannabis. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. So welcome, Jeff. Welcome to the Pilgrim on the 405. Thank you, Will. So, Pleasure to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. So tell, us, tell us a little bit about how you got into this workshop stuff and cannabis stuff. Uh, were you a child of the 60s? Is that what this is about? <laughs> no, no, not quite. I was uh, born in the mid-70s. Um, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, a little younger than that. Um, I, I think, you know, my scientific curiosity probably led me here as much as my entrepreneurial disease um, to kind of, you know, take those leaps of faith and risk um, to try and see how we might improve the the world around us. Um, my brother was working at a construction company at the end of 2008, and he came back and said, hey, you know, I think we're building a, a marijuana dispensary. Like, I'm like, a what? He's like, yeah, they call it medical marijuana. They say there's medical rules in California and it's legal to sell marijuana. I was like, that can't be legal. There's no way that that's right. But I, I did my homework, you know, did my research, looked and found there were laws. There was, um, you know, Prop 215 had passed in 97. Um, and then there were, you know, some dispensaries around. And I said, well, this is really an interesting concept. So there's state roles and the federalist system that we have allows the states to be the experimental laboratories of the federal government. So they're allowed to kind of do their own things and, you know, amidst federal conflict, if you will. And I thought, what an interesting idea and medical pieces in cannabis. I had never considered thinking of it that way. Um, you know, had only heard about it for adult recreational purposes before that, but I had done graduate studies in chemistry and around similar classes of molecules. Um, they're called lipoxins. The other class is leukotrienes, and then anandamide is the endocannabinoid. So they're all linked to this one molecule called arachidonic acid. It was very familiar to me, this system of balance, um, but the endocannabinoid system was not in the books when I had seen it. It was not really um, there in any of the you know formal teachings that I was given. But the research has been done. And I, I said, wow, this is amazing. This is a key system that regulates a lot of the fundamental functions of the body. And here is this plant that you can see people have cultivated and driven in a sustainable fashion, right? Plants are a good green resource that we should look at. How might we be able to harness what this plant offers and could provide to helping many people and introducing this into society in a really good fashion and hopefully one that was led by science? And beginning of 2009, President Obama was on CNN and said, I'm not going after medical patients. I'm going after drug trafficking organizations. And I thought that was the entrepreneurial green light for a scientist such as myself. And we started to say, let's let's get involved. It took about a year. And then we um, entered via a testing laboratory. So we started taking voluntary testing samples in and around the Southern California area, eventually across all of California and started to look at which molecules were present and then things that shouldn't be there that were unfortunately there, such as pesticides, microbiological contaminants, 
um, residual solvents and, and other things like that. But we've been doing this. I've been in cannabis now since 2010. I spent two weeks at that dispensary my brother built in 2009 as a volunteer to just see what it was like. And it was overwhelming the number of people that said how much benefit they got and how you know, invigorating it was to say this really can help a lot of folks in a lot of ways, but we owe it to ourselves to really understand it so we can handle it the right way and, and manage it as best as possible. And that's kind of what brought me you know, it's, it's, here. <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, I have been participating in, participating by listening uh, uh, in, in a thing called the uh, Global Fungi Summit. And uh, what you're talking about is is a parallel to what they're talking about. Uh, they're talking about the use of, uh, of uh, psilocybin, uh, LSD, uh, things that were, you know, blown apart in the 60s and, and, and late 60s and 70s because there was such terrible fear about them. Wasn't a lot different from, from uh, reefer madness kind of fear around cannabis. But since 2010, 2012, somewhere in there, there have been uh, opportunities to begin to uh, do the kind of things you're talking about with medical marijuana, and then also doing the same similar kind of things with Johns Hopkins, UCLA, other places in the world, taking a look at what psilocybin can do for depression, for uh, tobacco addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, and, and, and to, to help people grow. And and so it's interesting that this parallel that's going on there, it hadn't occurred to me, but now that you mention it, it does seem that there's a there's something there that's more than just let's do it for fun. Oh, absolutely. And I think they kind of both teach us there's more than just like the sum of the parts are greater than the individual pieces themselves. And in cannabis, we call this the entourage effect. Um, when I take not just cannabinoids, but terpenes and, and all the cannabinoids and terpenes together, I get something very different than if I isolate it and use just THC. So it makes you think like, hey, there's all these other points of connections or ways that these this thing balances out what you're looking for. And natural products are really good at, at doing that, right? They're not offering just one molecule, but many. And there is huge and tremendous amounts of parallels, I think, in, in both those worlds, like you're mentioning. And I hope we can take our cannabis regulatory legal experiences and start to apply it to, you know, psychoactive psychedelics and entheogens in general to say, you know, here's what we see that nature has given us. Here's how people can benefit from them. We owe it to ourselves to get every possible tool available to us simply because someone says, I'm afraid of what it might do, or I don't understand it doesn't mean you shouldn't research it. Like when we scheduled things, I believe we should have put more money into researching them rather than shelving them and saying, let's not touch that. Um, yeah. It's counter to human nature, right? You're not going to take it off the planet. It's not going to go away. You can't eradicate it. You can't arrest your way out of it. How do we understand it, seek to understand it better, and then seek to utilize it in the best possible fashions through good education and good clean supply well, it, chains? It, it seems to me that there's a, there is a connection there's a connection between control and uh, and the way that we see these plant uh, plant medicines is the way that Native Americans talk about it uh, and, and indigenous people in general they, they never gave up they never gave up their connection to plant medicine I mean uh, 
I mean, growing up in South Texas, uh, I was very aware. I mean, 80% of the people were Mexican-American and that, that border down there, that border was not a border. It was simply uh, a, a river of water. People were married back and forth. The ranchers moved their cattle back and forth. Farmers, it was, and so we were very much a part of that culture where 80% of of the South Texas was Mexican-American. And and we knew, and, and it wasn't, marijuana was never a, the drug. It was simply what people did. I Not, not yeah. the white guys. But okay. it was part of the indigenous culture, and not everybody used it. But it was not something that was to be feared. And and what I'm discovering is that same thing is true for most of the other plant medicines that are there. Uh, you know, psilocybin, the mushrooms. Uh, it's all. It's all part. But there's something about something about eliminating those cultures. And anything around it in favor of some rational, when Hoffman, when Hoffman discovered LSD and then he synthesized, uh, psilocybin, it it didn't come from the plants. It came from a test tube. It's so interesting to me how, (laughs) how when things, things are not ordered or not 100% in control, we want to, we want to deal with that by getting it in control by eliminating it. Yeah, it, I think there's that's where the rub is, right? Like, how do I have legal or regulatory frameworks with something that scares the daylights out of me, or that someone says doesn't deserve any of those types of frameworks? How do we find a balance that is acceptable to society, right? I think that's kind of what it's trying to tell us or teach us in a way. How do I say, hey, look, I can introduce this and offer it to you folks, and you know what you're getting is what you're getting, and there's nothing else in there that's harmful or that the plant didn't produce. But, um, you know, if you choose not to take it, then choose not to take it, right? I'm not proliferating it. I'm not trying to sh- shove it into every, you know, underage individual. I'm not trying to just commercialize it for my own dollar. I think, you know, there are ways that you can embrace this and say it's useful as a physiological tool. And it, and everybody should have a fundamental human right to every physiological tool that we could possibly enable them to have, whether that was, you know, synthetically created. I mean, we all benefit from the pharmaceutical industry's tremendous amount of understandings and learnings and new molecules such as antibiotics and and other things, right? We all wouldn't have the longevity we have without that. But that doesn't mean it has to come solely at the expense of eradicating all the plants and natural product medicines that we could have either. There's a continuum and there's maybe something that should be there for every type of person because we are very eclectic and unique individuals. And what might be right for me is, you know, very different for some others, but everybody is entitled to that choice. So how do I enable that choice in an informed, safe fashion? And I think we're starting to figure out a little of that, but we had done a terrible job of that, you know, beforehand. I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, was born when I was born so I can at least be here now. Um, but you know, it would have been a lot worse many years ago. And I, I hope that we're going in a good place in the future. Um, and I think we are learning really good lessons, at least through cannabis, um, in terms of seeing what each states are doing, seeing how we can kind of manage some of the commercial political interests, as well as public health and safety interests, and, and still enable people to get what might be really benefiting them. Yeah, so talk a little bit about what you discovered the benefits of, of 
cannabis use, all the way from medical to uh, anxiety uh, uh, relief, uh, emotional yep. support. The list is long. <laughs> um, and it's interesting, you know, I think we unfortunately label some things like, is it medicine or is it, you know, adult recreational? That seems to be a little bit more of a tax or regulation label than it is perhaps a physiological one. We see a lot of folks say, oh, you know, I don't use it as medicine, but it helps me sleep at night. Well, it's probably better than Ambien, and you don't have a prescription <laughs> yeah. for that, right? Or it I don't use down. it as medicine. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to be called a patient. I don't want the label of saying I'm sick, but I'm using this because of those types of reasons, right? So there's – unfortunately, those definitions are really difficult to apply. You know, in the grand sense, it's very difficult to say it's applicable towards every possible scenario. But it is, you know, I think of it like a physiological tool. Someone's going to use it in some way that's going to benefit them. You're trying to go from disease to a state of ease and, you know, feel better about yourself, your environment, and your surroundings. And it is beneficial for sleep, appetite, mood regulation, um, anxiety, stress. Uh, we find applicability towards uh, chemotherapy, cancer types of things, autism spectrum disorders, um, there is a very large litany of potential uses for the molecules that we find inside of cannabis. Now, that doesn't mean like every cannabis product you find on the shelf is good for each of those. Um, it seems to be a way of turning the knob up or down. So some might really help and some might really exacerbate. Um, you know, like you could take the easy examples like the, the sleep medication one. So if I help this to go, I use this as a, a beneficial aid to go to sleep easier, I might have another product that actually makes that worse and keeps me awake. So it's really important to understand, you know, what is there in a compositional sense, which molecules are present in this product, and then which one is driving me in which direction so that I can make the right choices um, for each of each individual's needs. Now, is your work uh, associated with medical research? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I come from a pharmaceutical drug discovery, drug design background. I think, you know, we okay. approach the problem in that sense. Um, how do we develop physiological tools? And I think, you know, the same thing that a branded, you know, um, prescription pharmaceutical would require is product quality, product consistency, and the same exact experience every single time. That is the same for someone building an alcohol brand, right? Or, you know, a beverage brand or any type of brand that will be within the cannabis space. Like I want to deliver to you a re reproducible, consistent experience that is of this type of quality. So to us, you know, we kind of say like cannabis kind of, it, it touches both sides of that. And if I just approach that from the highest possible bar, which, you know, I think we all believe is a, a pharmaceutical style bar, how do I apply that in a commodity sense and also in a way that, you know, works, whether it is an adult use product, but also can reach the same levels as a pharmaceutical product. You'll approach them from a quality sense uh, the same, at least in our opinion. All right, so is the work that you do, is it more pharmaceutical or plant origin? It's based? much more plant-based. Um, you know, it's we start with the plant. We're inspired by what the plant has to offer. We're analyzing the plant. We're formulating from products derived from the plants. Most all of our ingredients are, are natural products. Um, you know, they come from naturally derived sources. And we're using what the cannabis plant produces as kind of our, our chemical roadmap 
to say these are the molecules that we want present in formulated products. The problem and challenge is, you know, not everyone's going to eat a handful of cannabis flour, right? So it's not going to taste very good. It's not going to go down very well. It's going to be a difficult road on the, you know, down the digestive path. How do I pull out what I want um, and then put it into some sort of, you know, palatable form? And the challenge is when I pull off of the plant, I'm changing the plant's chemistry. So the molecules that were present that we found beneficial to some folks in that form, when they're just kind of heated and lifted off, they change in chemistry. They change to different molecules. They're not what you see once you've extracted it, nor once you perhaps formulated it into, you know, some sort of edible tincture or other product. So our perspective as a chemist is, what did the plant produce and how do I replicate exactly that in a true to plant fashion in any derivative product? So every extract or every derivative made from an extract should be able to represent the plant's chemical composition to the best of our, you know, scientific and commercial abilities today. So, all right. So if I understand, let me see if I understand what you're saying is we have the plant and we're going to take that plant and, and, create a product from that plant. Uh, there's another way of dealing with that is we're going to take that plant, we're going to analyze what molecules are there, and then we're going to recreate those molecules in a test tube. And there's some in between. Yep. You, you can have all of those. Correct. I mean, some people say, great, that's the plant. That's the same plant I had batch after batch. It's consistent. Um, and that form works for me. I will just take it and combust it or put it in a vaporizer and or maybe put it on my salad. Some might eat a little bit of it. It can be very beneficial that way too. Others will be like, I never want to consume the plant form, but I want the benefits of cannabis. How can I go about, you know, consuming in other fashions and whether that's vape inhalation or, you know, tablet, oral product consumption, tinctures, uh, even topicals, right? Like how might I benefit from this plant and what it has to offer in some form that is not on the plant form? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So what, what are you, what are you finding in your, your world? I mean, you're a scientist uh, from a, a pharmaceutical background. There are plenty of, of scientists today uh, talking about the, the COVID vaccine, and yes. there's a lot of confusion about that. Uh, how do you see that con- con- conversation? As a scientist, how do you see it? What do you see happening there? It's it's a very difficult thing to observe from a, an informed scientific perspective because you see um, sometimes you don't see an appetite for the depth that might be required to fully understand something. Sometimes you see messages diluted or changed because they're trying to make them more bite-sized, digestible. Um, in, an, in a world that you don't know very well, like something brand new just showed up, how can anybody be an exact expert in specifically that? We have to start from what we kind of knew already and learn a little bit on the fly. We didn't give many people much of any benefit of the doubt to say they didn't know everything. We assume if you're talking to us, you knew absolutely everything possible and had every single answer. It's difficult to say, I don't know. And and to be accepted saying, I don't know, or we don't quite know this yet. Um, and I think to to kind of look at the whole piece, I, I just kept feeling like, wow, we really have not educated on the science perspective, like exponential growth curves, communicable diseases, you know, just basic cleanliness of stuff. 
a lot of that and or the math that's behind some of it really was lost on tons and tons of folks having that type of conversation. And I think that it was disappointing to see from a science perspective that we haven't educated, you know, many of us very well in science. I heard that from a lot of my cannabis speaking, you know, folks who come up to me like, man, I wish I really paid attention in science class a lot better. You finally showed me something I wanted to put it towards. But now I lack that type of perspective. And I mean, everybody can learn every single day. We don't have to only learn in school. We don't have to only learn in a class. You know, there's lots of ways to go about educating yourself. Um, so you're never, you know, lost in that endeavor. But I, I think the whole COVID piece for me that and, and my scientific friends, you know, it was frustrating and it's been very frustrating to just watch the scientific message or things about science be miscommunicated, misunderstood, and and kind of more about media and, and going in different directions than you really would hope it would go. Yeah, it's really a sense of, uh, of attempting to use the power uh, of science for political, uh, economic power gains. Yep. Yep. Or just saying, I'll, I'll do the anti because everybody doesn't want to hear that. And, and just because you don't want to hear it doesn't mean it's wrong, <laughs> right? You may not want to hear it, but you have to hear it. And sometimes those are the, the worst things that you, you know, shouldn't listen to. Unfortunately, we choose not to. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been a bit of a challenge to kind of see all that. There's not a lot different from what was going on maybe before 2010, 28, 25, somewhere in there. Uh, uh, with with regard to uh, entheogens and uh, uh, cannabis, how do you see that changing? What what? what are so, the yeah, there is there is a there is a lot of hope and a light at the end of that tunnel. Perhaps um, you know I can I can attest to it in twenty you know twenty oh eight and twenty ten when we really got started. Um, and we're starting to meet many different people, especially like 2010, as we're getting involved in the business and going out there. And you've got different folks that say you're, you're running a, a lab. Like, can you test this stuff? What are you testing? What does that mean? Um, you know, or I will never touch this stuff. This is the worst thing on the planet. I can't believe you're doing it. And you can have a conversation with them if you can catch them for a couple minutes and say, look, here's what I believe we will be able to see from this. We will be able to get good medicine. We will be able to understand how to help these types of folks. We already see these types of benefits for this small population. And while it's anecdotal, you know, tens of thousands of folks telling me this type of thing is a little more than just a, an N of one anecdotal. It's not one person said that happened. It's too many people saying it happens to feel like there's not some sort of fundamental physiological consistency that we may be able to modulate once we understand it at the right levels, like molecular and scientific levels. And you know, you could start to see some folks be like, okay, I never really liked this topic, but in talking to you, I'm open-minded enough to kind of say, maybe you can proceed with some scientific endeavors. So, you know, I think science does take away a little of that polarizing effect. It should be, you know, outside of the whole political sphere. Unfortunately, it's not always there. We're embarking on a world that is going to be more science-driven, more, you know, fundamentally changing 
in ways that we can't even quite fathom yet today. And science will be at the forefront of everything, right? It is climate change. It is going to drive our economies in different ways. If we don't pay attention to what scientists are telling us, we won't be able to make an informed decision. We'll make a emotional one. And that very well may not be the right one. But if you can have some of the conversation, and we have seen that change radically since 2010 to today, you know, it took some time. And, you know, I think we have to just stay steadfast in our desires to say we're going to figure it out. And the more you start to learn and the more you educate from an accurate position, like, hey, we know this isn't just about THC. We know there's other molecules here that are important. Lo and behold, CBD comes and it doesn't cause these same types of euphoric effects that we might get from a THC molecule. That really helped open minds to saying, well, there is something here. Like it doesn't always end up with these people getting high or someone having this euphoric effect, but there's ways that we can curb epilepsy. There's ways that, you know, people are really benefiting from that. That type of, you know, understanding, I think we now have it, right? So we can now say we don't understand something, but if we start to understand it, we might learn more about how to work with it, how to utilize it, how to manage it. And through that understanding, it does take a little time, but we can get to where we all want to go. We just have to recognize that might not be where we're at today, but keep our minds open. I think great scientists always have open minds, right? They're always ready for the seeds floating around them to take root in a prepared mind and, and grow from there. And if everybody says, I know everything today, and this is all that I wanted, you know, we're, that mind's too closed. It's very hard to crack it open. And sometimes you're like, you know what? Maybe you're at 1% I'm not going to get through to today. You'll come along later. Let's go work on the other 99% or those, you know, 40% that are very open-minded that want to understand. From the understanding, we can see change develop. And I think we can seriously see a lot of change in cannabis from the last 10 years. I mean, when we got in, no one, you know, like I say, next to no one was very emphatic about touching it or interested in it or was even very open-minded about what benefits it may cause. And today, obviously, the conversation is very different. We see, you know, polling trends saying everyone's pretty, very, very accepting of medical use, maybe even more accepting of adult types of use. That has changed radically over the last few years because we ran those social experiments. We have folks trying to educate. And I think it just takes time and information to kind of get a little little more of where you want to go. And today it's accelerated because we have tools like this one or other means of educating people in greater ways. So I, I'm hopeful that it, it happens, that rate of change will happen to go faster. Um, but it is not fast enough for some folks, for sure. Here's an interesting, interesting uh, uh dilemma, a paradox that I see. Back in the 60s, Nixon and the Congress made uh, all these drugs, Schedule I, uh, no, no possible use right. and high degree of uh, potential for addiction, which yep. is ridiculous. Uh, it, 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 what, what, what it was, what it, what it appeared to be was the uh, knowledgeable people powerful, i.e. knowledgeable, people against the naive. You know, yep. the, the hippies yeah. running around doing all these crazy things. It, you know, and that wasn't true on either side, but that was what was pictured. Right. Yep. Today, yep. what I hear is we, we now have the knowledgeable people and 
there are others who are opposing them. Uh, 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 so it's there's something there that you know some resonance between who is opposing this. Uh, at one point, it was well. We know that this is that these are scientific. Uh, you know, our our schedule one is scientific, yep. uh, and it's the crazies out there. And now, science. I mean, from what you are saying, and I and and you're not alone in it. And and what I'm re- hearing uh, from a wide variety of scientists in the the Fungi Global Summit, and and then reading around is a tremendous amount of research. These are knowledgeable people, yet I don't see the lines forming to, you know, uh, uh, change the the uh, the Schedule One designation right now. So who is it? it? It it's certainly not knowledgeable people. Well, is it the the powerful or those in control types of you know ones that are wrestling with what is that knowledge and how might I you know utilize that best utilize that with society or how might that impact change and I'm afraid of what that change may bring. Um, you know, there's a little bit of I think there's a, a power dynamic between knowledge and information and control, and that's what's rubbing yeah. against each of those, right? So yeah. I, I think we've at least said, oops, <laughs> like that was, you know, there is some medical utility. We're going to have to kind of yeah. admit that to some extent, although legally we don't want to yet. When we say something new has come about and it's either been developed or we found it somewhere, we should say, let's study it very, you know, very, very well. And if it has a high potential for, you know, abuse or addiction potential, hey, educate. This could be a problem and we don't know much about it, but here's how we can harness things like it or even itself in certain ways. We didn't do that before. I think that was like the grave mistake of like, this looks bad. Let's just try and eradicate it. And when it should have been like, this looks bad, we better really learn a lot about it and see how fast we can learn about it so that we don't let it get out of control. Um, I mean, I think it's okay to say the fearful position is don't let it get out of control. We don't want anything to really upend, you know, society or how it all works. That could be very, very bad, no matter what it is yeah. that we're doing with, right? Like nuclear power or something like upended. that. We don't live in an upended society today, yeah. do we? I mean, I mean uh, it's all upside no, down anyway. Right? It's all just very well controlled. Yeah, exactly. It's a fabulous (laughs) illusion. Um, The internet helps us communicate about those things. It helps us understand things faster and it does kind of disseminate, you know, I can't have this single point telling me only one thing, right? I'll have many other points that start to say, that's not necessarily the case. Or you're speaking of a single isolated piece when I have 99 pieces of data that say otherwise. So you can't cherry pick this one thing and tell us that's all the end all be all, right? It's a, it's almost always a continuum. It's never really clearly, you know, A or B or black and white or very simple. There's always something in that gray space. And sometimes it might be best if that gray space was huge. And, you know, the only the very extreme ends were the the fine black and white. And I, I don't think that we have great means of um, legally defining that, of putting that out into societal constructs very well. But that's probably part of the next information, you know, change that we're seeing. How can we then reconstruct systems given the technologies and tools and the scientific foundations that we've got into a much, much better fashion so that it benefits more folks rather than less. I think the goal is how do we benefit more folks, right? I mean, from entheogens to something like cannabis to, you know, automated cars and everything else that you're going to think of, 
how does this benefit more folks or the mass majority rather than just one or a few? And and let's let's not uh, uh, avoid uh, one of our major addictions, which is sugar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. That's yeah, the and season the effect, for that, right? <laughs> the effect. Yes, that's right. And the effect that that has on our well-being. Uh, you know, if, if we had to choose between which are we going to outlaw in terms of what's the the social benefit to it for well-being, it, hands down, sugar would be, uh, you know, minimized. Uh, but it, it's amazing how we get our. <laughs> Uh, you know, our our values get uh, not not just values, but our commitments get so confused. Uh, I mean, is it obvious to you the effect that sugar has on us as a society, as a health, uh, well-being, economy, all of that? Yeah. I mean, nutrition in general is something that I really had my eyes open to through my cannabis efforts. Um, it was a big part of what made me a lot more healthy by choosing to eat much more healthy. I got much yeah. more well, much faster. And it is yeah. you know, food is medicine, right? It is the first thing you're consuming it all the time. So what are you consuming? Who told you what was good for you and why? And, you know, how do you feel when you try all these things? Right. I think, I think like we're going to look back at this point in time and say like nutrition was what we really miseducated on. We still don't do a very good job on it. And that is going to be a long, slow change to kind of reworking our nutritional systems in ways that would be much more beneficial to us than, than kind of unfortunately where we see ourselves today. And can you imagine a, a, a commercial that says today, the Today Show is brought to you by carrots and kale. <laughs> and we great. want to talk about how we how we can encourage you to purchase carrots and kale. Eat your leafy greens, <laughs> folks. Like, yeah, that'd be a different one <laughs> for sure. Oh my goodness, it's it's well, it, it it's amazing this path that we're in today. Uh, not not only, I mean, you, you can you can break them apart and and look at them separately. Uh, you know, the cannabis move. My son in in Western Massachusetts was considering doing uh, doing a grow in a big concrete garage that he had. And and as I was watching and following along with him and and talking with him, I mean that's a huge world in itself. Just what that means to yep. get involved agriculturally to with growing cannabis. I mean, cannabis itself is one huge chunk. The 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 entheogens, a, a whole different thing with fungi and all of that coming together. The all the social pieces that are popping up right now. But I, it seems to me that this is really almost what was predicted at the turn of the century. Yeah. You know, that whole thing about uh, uh, the new age, different yeah. things. We thought that was going to, I mean, anybody who anticipated it, was it's going to be just smooth, just waking up to this different world. Well, we are waking up to a different world, but it is it is as violent as childbirth. It's yeah, but it's that's something that's coming, yep. something new that's coming. There's a collective and, mind uh, change coming, right? There's it's yes, we're already on the path. There's a lot of resistance to it. We're on the path, and there's a lot of resistance to it, and and there's a big movement to let somehow pretend that all of this is not happening, and just continue to act like we did before. Right, but 
it's yeah. there's something that's changing dramatically. Would would you agree? Yeah, I think COVID kind of helps put the like the spotlight on it, right? Or the you know the big you know magnifying glass on it. Like there's a lot of change right in front of you. You know, like and if you don't believe it, like here it is right in your face. And I you know that's one. Um, but there are many many more. Like you were, you were saying, I think we are really in the midst of a, a big transformation. Um, a lot of change that are, is coming, and I think we owe it upon all of ourselves to try and and push that change in the most positive direction that we can, right? Like try to not like hold back, but embrace it and say, if I'm going to go, like what would be the best direction to send it um, so that we can all benefit the most from it rather than say, I want it to be like it was before. Cause holding on to how it was before is just never going to work. It's not going to be that way. I can't raise my kids the way I was raised because there's a whole different environment. There's technology. There's all sorts of other things that it just change it. It's changed, right? It's already changed whether you want to do it accept it or not. Um, so accept it, embrace it and try and utilize it and go with that flow rather than fight against it. I think that makes much more sense and, and gets you to go further faster. Yeah. Uh, but the train is leaving the station and the question is, do you want to be on it or not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's, it, 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 you know, uh, the, some of the things that I'm looking at and thinking about, uh, you know, two major uh, societal events. One is the great shuffle, people not being tied to where their productivity was. Yep. Uh, now, uh, yep. my wife is a, a Native American uh, from the Blackfeet tribe in Montana, and the first time we visited, there was poverty there. And not everybody was poor, but there was poverty. And, and my question to her was, as a white guy, uh, entrepreneur was, well, why don't they just leave uh, the reservation and go to where the jobs are? And and she said, finally, you know, over the long conversation, she finally got through to me and said, you don't understand this. The land is their connection to to the creator. Yep. This is, I mean, the, the plants that are here, this world is mediated through the land. And it took me so long to understand that. And and now when I look at the great shuffle with all these people moving around, it's so interesting to me that what they are doing, they're not moving from, from Los Angeles to New York. Right. No. Right? Yep. So many of them are moving back to the land. Yep. And, yep. and they're, they're saying, uh, I want to be in a place where I can raise my kids. Where, where, you know, the I, I want to be in a place where I can go fish and hunt and canoe and row and swim. I want to be part of nature, which is another way of talking about the land. So that's a big shift that's going on. They're leaving the concentrated areas of productivity to a place where they can be in touch with nature. And then, you know, hybrid back in or whatever. Uh, remotely, but that's, that's one. But the second piece is the great resignation where 50% of people are predicted to say in the next, next 12 months, I'm not coming back to work here. Yeah. That's a pretty interesting one, right? I mean, so, but you know, we've all reassessed values and reassessed, you know, many things in our lives over the last year, year and a half, right? So it kind of forced us to, what did I value? Where do I want to be? 
Yeah. Well, I think it, what ha- you know, where I want to be is important, but I think what happened is during the the eighteen months of COVID constraints, is that people had to do something that, that they really hadn't had to do for a long time, which is they had to take responsibility for their own well being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much solely on I'm you gonna, at that point, right? Yeah. If I don't do something, I'm going to die. If I don't take care of myself. If I don't make decisions about mask wearing or social distancing or, or vaccination or food, yeah, food, cleaning supplies, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm at risk. They had to take responsibility for the quality of life that they were living, which before they could blame on the corporation, the yeah. job, the family, the, the it, it got down to some pretty close to the, you know, some, some pretty brass tacks about how we're doing. And now, when it's come back to the world that you were in before, they're saying, no, thanks. I now am in charge. I have reflected on where I was going, and now I'm choosing to go a different way. It also helps you kind of strip down to the core essentials and say, this is what I value, right? Like there's a lot of other things that I may have been doing or engaged in or thought was really important at the time that when I got disconnected from was like, why did I spend so much time doing that when I really wanted to do this instead? Um, It gave you a chance to think, which I think, you know, if you're trying to just run the rat race or keep up, sometimes it's very hard to get enough of that time to think about what you really value yourself. And it's, it's kind of like why we're seeing a lot of these folks reassessing, you know, what they're doing and and why they're doing it. And if businesses want them to come back, guess who's going to be changing? Yeah. business (laughs) business <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right we don't get any right. workforce <laughs> yeah that's right that's right so it's going to be very interesting to see how businesses begin to pay attention to what people really love doing how they create a culture of loving and respecting in their organization how they're you know helping people to see what they are doing is contributing to making the world a better place through the products and services how they're compensating appropriately, which probably means if you're working 40 hours, you should be able to pay your rent, put food on the table, take care of your family. You don't have to do two or three other jobs. Yep. And, yeah. and, and, and maybe both of you don't have to work if you don't, you know, in a, in a, in a, 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 a two spouse family. And, and then finally having time left over for, you know, those kids, uh, those other passions that you have. When businesses do that, I think they're going to, they're, they're going to see, I mean, you're going to see people coming back to, to work. And you'll see productivity actually go up, um, right? <laughs> like, like everyone will work harder because they actually like to work or go, you know, or contribute <laughs> right. in that way. So, I mean, That's I right. think, you know, we, we want to put all these labels on it. This might be the great period of adaptability. If businesses can adapt to the new mindsets, and we've all individually been forced to adapt to the changing world around us, those who adapt fastest, first, foremost, and best are going to be the ones to thrive. We'll see the businesses actually that do that and do it well, thrive really well. Um, and we all might look back and say, that was the great period of adaptability. And we saw this, you know, fantastic. And that was Darwin's effect. That was Darwin's big, big, big major contribution. It wasn't, it wasn't really the, my reading of Darwin, uh, especially in his second book was not just the survival of the fittest. It was the survival of the adaptable. Yeah. It was the ones who could literally adapt to the changes. And we got, global climate change is coming well we can pretend that we can get all this carbon back to where it was 
but it looks to me like we're going to be doing a lot of adaptation to That's learn how to live easy. with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Jeff, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciated it. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I really did. I really did. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Will. It's uh, It's been a great so, pleasure. A lot of fun. If, if people wanted to talk with you more, how would they get in touch with you? Sure. Um, through our, our website, Instagram handles, um, at the workshop or at Dr. Jeff Raber. Um, you can find us at either or any of those and reach out for me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, feel free. I'm usually pretty responsive, but you found me on LinkedIn. So we can certainly right. go along, um, on those paths. I'm pretty well connected. I'm pretty public out there. Uh, a Google search should be entertaining on my name and, and you can certainly find me pretty easily. Excellent. And that's work with W-E-R. C, right? Correct. Yeah. Work. We think about it differently and actually have fun doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been great. And this is just one more example of how, how not only the businesses are thriving, but with all the changes that are in place, how we are adapting to thrive in the, in the near future. Listening to the Pilgrim on the 405 with Will Christ. To hear more of the programs in this podcast, go to www.willchrist.com.